So I don't know if you know what was happening earlier uh, with the group of kids that came in. That's the second grade worship lab. That was not very good applause. But anyway, uh, because you're probably wondering why should you applaud them? Well, you should applaud them because they're in here and they're going to pay attention and set an example for the rest of you. Uh, Because uh, in the uh, uh, course of their study uh, right now, they are learning about what it means to listen to sermons and why in the world would God put us in a position where we need to listen to sermons from people like me. Well, the reason for that is, strangely enough, uh, what God does uh, in and through what happens here in worship on Sunday mornings is he uses the word of God, the written word of God, read and preached as if he were speaking to us himself. Isn't that crazy? scares the beekeepers out of me every week. For 30 years, I can't sleep on Saturday night because of that. So uh, if you think about it on Saturday night when you're getting ready to crawl in the bed uh, and you're exhausted and you're about ready to fall asleep, remember uh, to pray for your uh, pastor or whoever your preacher is because uh, that's what God has for them uh, on Sundays. So... Uh, I think that's uh, it's a pretty powerful and profound uh, thing to think about. So we started looking at Second Peter chapter one last week. We looked at the beginning, and today we're going to look at verses five through eleven in chapter one. The text is uh, in the bulletin and also up on uh, the screens behind me. Second Peter chapter one, uh, verses five through eleven. Um, this is God's word, and we should hear it and respond to it as such this morning. For this very reason, make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue, and virtue with knowledge, and knowledge with self-control, and self-control with steadfastness, and steadfastness with godliness, and godliness with brotherly affection, and brotherly affection with love. For if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. For whoever lacks these qualities is so nearsighted that he is blind, having forgotten that he was cleansed from his former sins. Therefore, brothers, be all the more diligent to confirm your calling and election, for if you practice these qualities, you'll never fall. For in this way, there will be richly provided for you an entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. So uh, every year at Christmas, my family asks me, what do I want for Christmas? And I think generally giving the dad a Christmas gift is a dumb idea. It just does not make a whole lot of sense. And so I usually say, uh, give me world peace or an end to poverty or an end to hunger or something like that so we can just move on to uh, what's really important, and that is what we're going to eat at Christmas. And so this year, uh, they insisted that they get me something, and so I asked for and received a smoker. A smoker. 
And so I've been fiddling around, messing with my smoker. I've smoked a few things. Well, yesterday I got done with all my errands. I got done with work and got in a good run. And I was driving home and I was thinking, you know what? Today would be a good day for some smoky goodness. And so I went to uh, the butcher shop and bought 12 pounds of ribs, 12 pounds of pork ribs, 12 pounds. Now, now there are three people that live at my house. Okay, but you never know. Those bones weigh a lot, right? So, so it sounds like 12 pounds sounds like a lot. It's really not. Yeah, it's actually a ton. But anyway, and that's why I got it. <laughs> so... I, it's a lot of work to set the smoker up, right? Because you gotta put it together, you gotta get the wood chips out, you gotta soak them and get them just the right, you gotta coat the meat and the right goodness stuff that you want on there, and you gotta get it set up, you gotta get it lit, you gotta get the, the temperature adjusted, you gotta make sure that there's some liquid in there to keep it from drying out and all that kind of stuff, and so you set it up, because it takes about four and a half hours. Because you wanna do it slow. You don't want the temperature to get above 240, and you don't want it to get below 225. You've got a range. The slower, the better. So I set it up. It's a lot of trouble. Get it up. Get it going. And um, the smoky goodness has begun. My neighbors are loving it. The little dog next door to us is having a fit. He wants to come and join us, right? So um, for, for a person like me to pay attention to something for four hours is hard. And so I was pretty diligent, but about two hours and 15 minutes into the process, I'm looking at the, the smoker out the back window and I think, wow, it is really smoking all of a sudden. Wonder it must have hit some new spots in the the chips that are in there, and they must really be churning it out. And then I'm like, I don't think that looks right. So I go out there, and uh, I had forgotten to put more water in the little water bowl, and so I had a grease fire going in my smoker. Marty doesn't know this. She was totally unaware that we had a giant grease fire in our backyard, and so. Um, have this giant grease fire, get it put out, and as soon as we got it put out, uh, rearrange the meat, put the water back in there, finished up the smoking, and we are enjoying those ribs to this day. Sorry? It's a good thing. It's a good thing. Well, one of the things that I think that happens to us uh, as believers and followers of Christ is a lot like smoking ribs. We pay a lot of attention, a lot of change, a lot of preparation, a lot of zeal, and a lot of energy at the beginning. But then time goes on, and life wears on us, and temptations come, and things disappoint us, and we forget who we belong to, and we forget the power of the cross. And we forget what's happening, and pretty soon we're not tending to our souls because we've forgotten who the shepherd of our souls is, and then we have a fire on our hands. 
right? Or as this text says, a fall. Now, what I want to do this morning is to get at this a little bit, because one of the things that happens whenever we, whenever we come at a, at, a, at, a, at a text like this, and one of the things that Peter wants us to see, and one of the things he wants us to interact with, is, is this very issue. He wants to challenge us to think about the nature of our relationship with Jesus. He wants to challenge us to think about whether or not we, we really are followers of Christ. And he wants to challenge us to see how the fact that Jesus Christ has done all of this work on our behalf, that he has taken the initiative towards us, that he has done everything necessary for our salvation, how that impacts how we live. And so, so what I want us to do today is to spend some time thinking about how can I know that I really am a follower of Christ, and if I know that, how is that fact, that truth, going to manifest itself in my life? So, so how can I be sure that I'm a Christian and that I belong to Christ? Well, first of all, uh, you're, if you're asking the question, that's a great sign. Because if you don't care about it, if, you, if it's not on your radar screen, if, if being a follower of Christ doesn't matter to you at all, then you're never going to ask that question. Now, now, you may be thinking, you may be sitting here and saying, my whole reputation is at stake here. What, what, if, what if the people in my, uh, in my small group suddenly find out that all this time I've been saying I was a Christian, but I really wasn't? Big deal. What's the problem? If you're not a Christian and you think... You're not a believer, and you think, oh, no, I've I, I got to cover this up or I can't do it. It's not a problem. It's really easy. It's the gospel. Jesus loved you. He lived, died, and rose again for you, and he gives you his righteousness to, uh, as, as your righteousness. It's not hard. And trust me, trust me, uh, there's no one in here, no one in here who would judge you if you said, you know what? I always thought I was a Christian, but today I became one. People would be happy. Nobody's going to be upset with you about that. That's, a, that's an awesome thing. That's the best thing. Uh, and so when Peter says, make your calling and election sure, it's not, he's not saying, uh-oh, you know, let's, let's keep it quiet here, keep it you know, on, on the QT here. He's like, no, it's a great thing. This is for all of us. It is for all of us. So the very fact that you're asking the question could I be a Christian? Might I not be a Christian? It's a good thing because people who never are concerned about this, who never ask the question, probably aren't. Okay? So that's, that's, that, that, that's one thing. Second, assurance of God's grace leads to assurance of faith. In other words, the, the focus in this text uh, is certainly upon making our calling and election sure, but the focus of that is first and foremost upon the fact that God is the one who moved towards me first. God is the one who initiated this relationship with me. He is the one who not only came in the flesh and lived my life and died and rose again, not only are those things true, but it's also true that he has ensured uh, uh, the, the fact that I can hear that, that I can believe it in the first place. And so, so recognition that God is good, that he is loving, that he is kind, that he is merciful, and that is demonstrated to me in Jesus Christ is, is the thing that begins to assure me of my faith. Because if you look for assurance of faith only at your behavior, only at how you're doing, only how you're obeying, 
you'll either delude yourself with self-righteousness that I'm doing, you know, I might not be doing great, but I'm doing better than that guy. Or you'll secretly be undone with guilt because you think, I lose my temper. I lack self-control. I, uh, I'm not very steadfast. I, it's hard for me to love my enemies. Right? So, so what we have to look at is it's helpful for us to see these things as a means whereby we can, we can look at our behavior, we can look at what's going on in our lives, but the ultimate thing, and the, and the test of this is that when you stand before God in judgment, he's going to judge you based upon your connection and his connection with you in Jesus Christ. Do you have the righteousness of Christ? Have you trusted him? Is, is what has he supplied to you that righteousness that if left on your own, none of us, none of us could achieve by ourselves, right? So, so ultimately, we trust that we are belong to Christ because of his goodness, his love, his mercy, and the fact that we, uh, um, that we trust him. And then thirdly, faith, that is, as he says in this text, not being nearsighted or blind leads to growth, right? So he gives us this list of faith, virtue, knowledge, self-control, steadfastness, godliness, brotherly affection, and love. Now we read that because we're in church and because it's coming to us from the Bible, we think that that those are uniquely Christian virtues. I could show you pagan uh, philosophers and pagan uh, uh, (coughs) teachers who would have the same list. Exactly. Exactly. Right? So, so it's not simply a matter of, um, didn't that rain sound good? Is it putting anybody to sleep? Um, when I was a kid, uh, my dad led singing in church, and whenever we would be in church and it would rain, he would always insist on getting up and leading us in this hymn called There Shall Be Showers of Blessings. So embarrassing. I'm not going to do that. <laughs> okay. uh, but as we look at this list, what is it about this list that makes it uniquely Christian? Well, what makes it uniquely Christian is the fact that it is connected to the work of Christ in us. That, that this is not a matter of self-discipline so much as it is a matter of coming to grips with the fact that Jesus Christ has done this work for me, and as a result of the, him doing this work for me, he has given me his spirit. He has given me power. He has given me his word. He has given me faith. He has given me all of these things so that the, these things might be true in my life, right? So faith that we... That we're, that we um, uh, trust him and what he has done for us. Virtue, that is, that we're, that we're good. You know, knowledge, that we are deepening in the, the relationship that we have with him. Self-control, the hardest one, right? Self-control. Don't you think that's hard? Ribs? Self-control? I mean, who buys 12 pounds of ribs? Somebody with self-control? Really? Really? Okay. Um, steadfastness, that you're rock solid, right? 
godliness, that you're growing more and more like uh, the one who loves you and who made you. Brotherly affection, that you look about you and you, you love the people that you're in community with and love the fact that you love not only those who love you, but that you love your enemies, right? So what are the things that are in this list? Well, these are the descriptions of what God has made available to us first and foremost in Christ, right? So let's, let's look at what uh, John Piper says about this. Probably the most important thing to notice here is that this command is based on verses 3 and 4, which are not a command, but a description of what God has done for us. God's divine power has given us all things that lead to godliness. For this reason, make every effort yourself to be godly. God's divine power has given us all things that lead to godliness. And for this reason, make every effort yourself to be godly. Don't miss the connection, though some versions do miss it. Since God has given power for godliness, strive to become godly. This is the heart of New Testament ethics. We labor for virtue because God has already labored for us and is at work in us. And in fact, I would say to that, he is way more invested in your virtue than you are. He died to give it to you, right? So don't ever reverse the order lest you believe another gospel, which is no gospel. Never say, I will work out my salvation in order that God might work in me. Because you see, when, when Peter gives this list here of this, these virtues and commands us, tells us to make our calling and election sure, he's basing it on what he has said in verses 3 and 4. His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness. All things. Everything we need. Through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence by which he has granted to us his precious and very great promises, so that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire. In other words, every, this, 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 this challenge to us to look at our behavior and to think about what's going on here is not something where God says, I'm standing apart from you and I'm judging you. I'm evaluating you. What he has done here is he is saying, look, I, I have done everything that you need. I have come and I have lived and I have give, and died and given you my righteousness. I have atoned for your sins. But not only have I atoned for your sins, I've given you my righteousness. Not only have I given you my righteousness, I've given you a share of myself. I have given you my Holy Spirit so that everything that you need is there. I've given you my word. I've given you the community of faith. I've given you all of these things. So everything that is there uh, that, that you need to be, to live the way he's talking about here, he's already given it to us. So it's not something that, that, that Christianity is only for those with willpower. That Christian living is only for those uh, with a stiff upper lip. But it is for those who appropriate and understand the depth and the power of the love of God for them in Jesus Christ. And that that is the power and the impulse to do what it is he's called us to do. Next slide. So what he says here is, is that we lack these qualities because we forget what Christ has done for us. In fact, he says we're blinded. He says that if these things are not true of us, for if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. For whoever lacks these qualities 
is so nearsighted that he is blind, having forgotten that he was cleansed from his former sins. Right? So uh, we cannot see the past action of Jesus in saving us, and we cannot see the future, that is, this welcome, this entering into his kingdom that he mentions there in, in uh, verse 11. So these things, it's important for us. We, we act as if we're blind or we're nearsighted. We can't see it because we forget. Now, um, I have terrible eyesight, um, really nearsighted, um, and I have cataracts. And so I had a pretty bad cataract in this eye, and I got it replaced, and so I can see really, really well out of that. Uh, this eye, uh, I see nothing, literally. I see, I don't see shapes. I don't see colors. I see light. And I see darkness. That's it. That's it out of my left eye. I'm going to get it taken care of. But one of the problems with that is, is people keep coming up to me on my left side. And I don't see them. Marty and I were in the grocery store yesterday, and she kept coming up to me on my left side, and I kept running into her. And I'm like, where are you? Why are you doing this? I need to put a sign back here on my, on my shoulder that says, don't approach this guy from this side or he'll run into you, right? Because literally, I can't, I can't see on this side, which affects my driving. Because when, uh, uh, when I come up to an intersection and I have to turn, you know, I'm going to turn right and I have to look left, I have to like break my neck. To look around here so that my eye can see out here to see what's happening. It's a problem. It's a real problem. I'm going to get it fixed um, someday. Um, it, is, it, is a, it, is, it is a real problem. But the, the fact is, I think about that as, what if that was what my life was like in both my eyes? What if, what if it was impossible for me to see? I would just be stumbling around, uh, running into everything, destroying everything, just making a giant mess of everything. Well, that's, what, that's what's true of us when we forget the cross. When we forget the work that Jesus has done, as Peter says here, to cleanse us from our former sins. And when we forget the fact that he has gone on before us and is preparing a place of glory for us, when we forget the work that has been done for us in Christ, then, then we're, we're, we're nearsighted, we're blind, and we lack the ability, we lack the clarity, we lack the, the, the power that is ours to do what it is that he's called us to do. And so when we fall, when we, when we don't repent, when we find ourselves cold towards him, when we find ourselves uh, disengaged from him, it's like we're blind because we've forgotten the great love of God for us that's demonstrated to us in Jesus Christ. So, so we arrive then at an assurance that we belong to Jesus by trusting him, by taking him at his word, by believing in the cross, by believing the work that he has done for us, and by responding to that, by, by participating in what it is that he's done for us. And so what I want to do real quickly is um, one of the best chapters in our confession of faith is a chapter on assurance. Um, and it is interesting to, to note that uh, the founders of our church almost 400 years ago thought it was so important that they included a chapter uh, in their confession on the nature of, of being assured. So it must matter, right? It, it's important, right? It's worth, 
It's worth our thinking about. So I want you to look at this for me, uh, with me for a minute or two. Although hypocrites and other unregenerate men may vainly deceive themselves with false hopes and carnal presumptions of being in the favor of God and a state of salvation, which hope of theirs shall perish. In other words, there are people who boldly, without any sense of, of Christ at all, uh, decide that they're just fine, uh, without any understanding of the work of Jesus at all. Um, yet such as truly believe in the Lord Jesus and love him in sincerity, endeavoring to walk in all good conscience before him, may in this life be certainly assured that they are in the state of grace and may rejoice in the hope of the glory of God, which hope shall never make them ashamed. So, it is possible for you today to know beyond a shadow of a doubt that God loves you, that Jesus died for you, and I would submit to you uh, that as you do that, you, <clears throat> you have a sense, you, when you recognize that your virtue is slipping a little bit, that you can repent and that you can trust him and that you can turn to him because he already knows these things about you and that he is for you, energizing your faith. Now, paragraph two. This, is certainly, this certainly is not a bare conjectural or probable persuasion. In other words, I think it's, I think it's going to happen. The odds seem to be in my favor, right? Uh, grounded upon a fallible hope, but an infallible assurance of faith founded upon the divine truth of the promises of salvation, the gospel. Jesus loves you. He's died for you. He's risen again for you, right? The inward evidence of those graces into which these promises are made, in other words, the sense that the Spirit is in us, the testimony of the Spirit of adoption, witnessing with our spirits that we are the children of God, which Spirit is the earnest of our inheritance whereby we are sealed unto the day of redemption. So it is possible to have a sense of the gospel so profound that you can know, you can be certain, you can rest. And what a great gift it is to know beyond any doubt that Jesus is for you and he's going to see you to glory. However, and this, 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 this third paragraph is the one that I think is the best, because ironically, because it says that assurance is not essential to faith, actually helps me be assured. Stick with me on that, okay? This infallible assurance does not so belong to the essence of faith. In other words, you can be a true believer and struggle with assurance. And in fact, I would say every true believer struggles with assurance at some time or another. But that a true believer may wait long and conflict with many difficulties before he be a partaker of this assurance. Yet being able by the Spirit to know the things which are freely given him of God, in other words, the gospel, the gifts, the spirit, the fellowship, the truth, right? He may, with extraordinary revelation, in other words, Jesus doesn't have to show up at your house and tell you you're a Christian. Okay? He doesn't have to show up and say, hey, you really are a believer. He might. <laughs> but he doesn't have to do that because he's already done that in his word. He's already done that in his gospel, right? Uh, and the right use of ordinary means attained thereunto. What's an ordinary means? You're doing it. By being in church, by hearing the word preached, that's an ordinary means. 
by reading the Bible, by praying, by hanging out with other Christians, by um, exercising the gifts God's given you, by serving, by praying, by, by singing, by all of those things. All of those things are things that God uses to assure us. You know what assures me? And I will tell you that I am, I am a, an individual that is fraught with doubt. I might not even be sure it's raining, you know? Uh, and uh, people, you know, the, the, the thing that probably assures me most experientially is not the great books I've read or the fact that I can read the Bible in Greek or Hebrew or uh, the fact that I have a seminary degree, I have a bunch of seminary degrees or anything like that. You know what assures me the most that I belong to Christ? Singing. With you. There are many Sundays where I'm like, get a handle on yourself because you've got to get up and give the benediction in a minute and you're a mess. Okay? So there, the, the fact of the matter is God uses all of these things to help us, to press upon us, to call us to repent, to call us to, to struggle and to come to grips with the fact that the gospel's true. So therefore, it is the duty of everyone to make all diligence to make his calling and election sure, to ask the question, Jesus, am I really yours? Are you really mine? What do I need to repent of? What do you want me to change? What energy do you need to to give me to to, uh, uh, break out of this morose depression I'm in or this terrible situation that I find myself in, right? So therefore, it is the duty of everyone to give all diligence to make his calling and election sure that thereby his heart may be enlarged in peace and joy in the Holy Ghost. What a great statement. What God wants for you is for your heart to be enlarged in joy and in peace in the Holy Ghost because of what he's done for you in love and thankfulness to God and in strength and cheerfulness. Now, there's a West End word. We love that word, right? Cheerfulness. <laughs> the last time I heard somebody described as cheerful, we were like, stay away from me. I don't, your cheerfulness is bugging me, right? Cheerfulness and the duties of obedience. The proper fruits of this assurance, so far is it from inclining men to looseness. In other words, Understanding the depth of the love of God for you, understanding the depth of the work that Jesus has done for you, not being blind and nearsighted, as Peter says, remembering the cleansing that he's done and remembering the glory that he is going to get me to, all of those things don't lead me to act as if my sin doesn't matter and doesn't lead me to act like that, that, that there aren't supposed to be things that are true of my life. It actually encourages me because Jesus has done this for me because he loves me and because it glorifies him. He says to me, look, these are some things that can be true of you because they're true of me because I died to give you this. I've given you the spirit. I've given you the gospel. I've given you the church. I've given you all of these things so so that these things would be markers. These would be indicators in your life that I'm for you that you belong to me. He says that we're blind when we forget. And one of the things that I think is so profound about that as we come to the table is we have the opportunity 
to remember when we come to the table. And I said at the early service that sometimes I think we think God whispers to us, Hey, I love you. I died for you. And then he hides. And then he's like, I'm going to make it hard for you to figure this out. Right? When in fact, what he's done here is he's given us this bread and this cup. He's given us the gospel. He's given us these words. And he's given us this sacrament to say to us, Listen, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. You proclaim the reality of sins forgiven. You proclaim the reality of his care and his love for you. And you proclaim the very power at work in you to enable you to live the way he desires for us to live. So listen now to these words of institution. On the first day of the festival of unleavened bread, the disciples came to Jesus They did as he had directed them and prepared the Passover. Now as they were eating, Jesus took bread and after blessing it, broke it and gave it to the disciples and said, Take, eat, this is my body. And he took a cup and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them saying, Drink of it, all of you, for this is my blood of the covenant which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. I tell you, I will not drink again of this fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new with you. In my Father's kingdom. Let's confess our sins together by using the confession that's uh, in the bulletin and also uh, up on the screens behind me. Gracious Father, our sins are too heavy to carry, too great to cover, and too deep to undo. In our hostility toward you, we squandered life and inheritance. Forgive our forgetfulness blindness, and rebellion against you. May your spirit, who is at work in us, transform us into the likeness of your Son and grant us grace to confirm our calling and election through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen.